as James explained. Now, we are in a teaching series called DNA. It's our vision series where we're asking the question again, as we always do at this time of year, who are we and why do we do what we do as the people of God, particularly in an All Saints Worcester version of that. What is our DNA? What is the Christian life? And if you were here two weeks ago, I kicked off by helping us see hopefully something of the biblical identity that we have as individuals and therefore collectively as the church. And from that, the purpose that we have as those people. And made clear, I hope, that our purpose is defined by our identity, not the other way around, that our worth comes not from what we do, but from who God says we are. And actually, that's very contrary to the way of the world. And this morning, I want to carry on in that vein and uh, look at another both and that we uh, were looking at last time. So I introduce you to the both and principle, this idea that often what can happen, particularly in the Christian life, where we find ourselves grappling with two or three or more things that all seem to be equally true is that we don't always know how to embrace the tension, the creative tension or the the kind of holding together of those things. And so we default, if we're not careful, to either or thinking. So it becomes either identity or purpose that we focus in on or a whole load of other both ands. And I listed a whole whole load of them last time. Actually, the Christian life is about embracing and handling and enjoying these things that come together in the both and kind of way. And I want to look at the next one of those this morning. But just to kind of illustrate that point and drive it home, because for some of you, that all sounds a bit theoretical. Let me just road test with you a few examples of what this looks like, this principle in the general uh, reality of our lives. So let me give you an example. Crumble or custard? (laughs) There should be outrage at this point, because everybody knows that it's crumble and custard, or brackets, ice cream, if you're like me, comes to something, I don't quite do the custard thing. Uh, crackers and cheese, or wine? <laughs> I'm like, I'm raising the bar here. You're, not, you're very relaxed. This, this should be making you anxious, that this is even a thought process that some people go through. Rugby or cricket? I mean, surely we all know that it's rugby and cricket and football and hockey and netball and anything else, because it's sport and it's a gift from God. Let's have one more. Friends or family? Now, some of you are going, ah, now, caveat, because you've not met all my family. I understand. It gets complicated at that level. But we'd all say, wouldn't it? Surely it's friends and family. It's both and. That is the Christian life. It's living a whole load of both ends in a spiritual sense. And if you're here this morning and you think, I've never even been to church for a lo- or not been to church for a long time and this is all a bit mad, don't worry, you're in, you're in good company. We're all working this out together. Actually, the Christian life is increasingly something that seems alien and weird to a load of people who've got no experience of God or the church or faith. But actually, woven through the Bible is this beautiful invitation to this both-hand life with God, living this identity as God's children, uh, loved because he made us, and sent out in his name and in his power to bring love to the world, this adventure of faith. And we're invited to discover a way of living and following Jesus and outworking our calling and our purpose in such a way that we have the fullness of life. The danger if we end up with an either-or spirituality is that we end up kind of distorted and lopsided as followers of Jesus. And we end up missing out on so much of what God has for us. So today we're talking about the Word and the Spirit. The Bible 
and the Holy Spirit. And if we only have one without the other, we're missing out and we become something of a distortion of what God has for us. And we lose out on the fullness of life in Christ. Just as a heads up, next week, it's mission and evangelism. And you've got a double header because in the morning we have the quite brilliant Jonathan McCreary, who's one of our mission partners back from South Africa with the McCreary family in tow. He's going to be speaking in the morning. And then in the evening, Emma Ellen is making her debut on the preaching team, which I'm very excited about. Because these things really matter that we get our heads around the both and nature of all of this. Are you with me so far? Some of you are thinking, crumble and custard for lunch. That is like that is a word from God by the Holy Spirit. I'm with you. Amen. Okay, so word and spirit. This is really crucial to our understanding of what it is to be the church and to be a follower of Jesus and actually crucial to our DNA as All Saints Worcester. And I want to talk this morning about what we mean by word and spirit. Okay, so let's start with that teaching text that um, Kate read for us. It'll come back up on the screen. Maybe you have it open in front of you in your Bibles. These verses that um, Paul writes, they come at the end of an unbroken sentence. So Ephesians chapter 1 is essentially one long sentence. You've got to imagine that Paul is basically, someone's probably writing down what he's saying, and he's like literally, he starts with this incredible articulation of who Jesus is, what he's done, why it matters, the difference it makes in our lives. And, and, and he's trying to kind of cast vision to the church in Ephesus. This is what you've got yourselves caught up in. And he maps out a whole load of key themes in this first chapter that he then doubles back in on in the following chapters. And that's kind of a bit of a model for all of his apostolic letters. He's like, big picture, let's go back through it. And what he says here is that actually you need to understand that the way in which you were brought to salvation, the way in which you discovered uh, life in Christ is both a work of the Spirit and the Scriptures. The Word was active and the Holy Spirit was. So notice verse 13. You also were included in Christ. That's his shorthand for those of us who've put our faith in Jesus and his will and his ways and discovered the love, grace, and mercy of God. That's shorthand for that. You also were included in Christ. Notice this. When you heard the message of truth, that's The word proclaimed, which he says is the gospel of your salvation. Gospel means good news. So this is the good news of your salvation that was clearly proclaimed to them. This written word was proclaimed to them. When they heard it, they came to faith. But notice what he also says. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And that is picture language because in those days, the scriptures were not in a nice book like this. They were on scrolls and the scrolls would have been sealed as a mark of ownership. So what he's saying is when you came to faith in Jesus, when you put yourself into Christ in response to hearing the word, the spirit seals you as as his own. God's Holy Spirit, the one that raises Jesus from the dead comes and lives in us when we come to faith and he seals us once and for all you are Christ's and nothing now separates you Paul says in Romans from the love of God he's bought you at a price he's sealed you he owns you the Holy Spirit is at work as well as the scriptures and that's just one example of what we see throughout the scriptures wherever you see something written about the Bible in the Bible 
you will also see reference in one way, shape, or form to the scriptures, uh, sorry, to the Spirit as well. So we see it in the Old Testament, right at the beginning of Genesis chapter 1. The Spirit is hovering over creation, but it does the word, sorry, the work of the Word of God. God said, Word, and the Spirit makes it happen. It's right there at the very, very beginning of the story. And all the way through, you see it in the Psalms over and over again. You say this, Lord, and your breath does this. We see it in Ezekiel, this vision, this prophetic vision of the dry bones, you know, that they'll be brought back to life. And it literally talks about God will speak and the Spirit will bring life. And it's this prophetic vision. Over and over and over again, we see the two come together because it's not either or. It's both and. Either or thinking makes us end up in a place spiritually where we lose out. And both are essential if we're to become fully alive in the things of God. And both are essential if we're to be the kind of people that actually do the work of the kingdom, this work that Jesus sends us on. People don't just need to hear this. They also need to experience God. We've just spent some time, and Jess just helped us make reminds that moment we had, that's us consciously inhabiting the presence of God. People need to hear about God, but they also need to encounter him, word and spirit. So Paul is really, really clear here. Word and spirit. That's true for what he says is salvation, that process of coming to faith, but it's also true for what we would call sanctification, that process that then you go on as you follow Jesus of becoming transformed into the likeness of Christ as your pain and your hurt and all that stuff that robs you of your dignity as a human is dealt with by the Spirit. He brings healing and wholeness and you step into this full identity as a redeemed human being. The Spirit and the Word are both in that process all the time if we let them. So the Spirit helps us understand the word and apply it to our lives. And the word affirms the spirit and as the active presence of God in our lives. At every, any given moment in the scriptures, one member of the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, is the active agent, the one that's operative, if you like. And at the moment, we live in what's called the age of the spirit. The spirit is at work. Jesus said, it is better for you that I go back to be with the Father and in my place I send you the Holy Spirit. This promised gift, he says. So God, in his wisdom, through his Son, has sent the Spirit on his behalf to us as a gift. It is so tragic to me, therefore, that so many of us, and we can all be guilty of this, can forget this gift or just leave it over there or don't unwrap it because it's a bit scary and we kind of like this bit because it's written down and there's a bit of distance. Does that make sense? We just be really, really clear that it's both and. You know that story on the road to Emmaus? Jesus in his resurrected form, hidden as you think he's somebody else. He appears to two of his disciples who've basically freaked out and I'm like, we're out of here because they started killing us. And he, he journeys alongside them, and he takes the scriptures, the account says. And it says he begins with Moses and the prophets, and he teaches them. He tells them the story. It's the word. He literally tells them this story, his story. 
And then as they report their experience later, it says in Luke 24, did our hearts not burn within us? So they didn't say, yeah, we had this kind of cerebral, intellectual kind of clarification moment, and it was amazingly clear, and we wrote it all down as a 97-point thesis. No, what happened as Jesus taught them the truth is that something happened in here because the Spirit took what was being said and did something deep in their hearts. That burning in our hearts that we have when we encounter God, when we have revelation, when we experience God's kindness, often in the form of somebody else, not necessarily in a church gathering like this, is the work of the Spirit. But it's always to apply the word, to bring revelation to us of the word. It's always in alignment with and for the scriptures. It takes this book and makes it real for us. I remember many years ago, one of our godchildren, she had lots of questions about God. She was a classic teenager, good, asking lots of questions. And she kind of never really experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit which we read about in the scriptures and we'll come to in a moment. And so she had all these questions because she was thinking it through. But then she had this powerful encounter with God's Holy Spirit. And I remember her saying to me, it feels like everything's changed. I've not gone from, I've still got my questions, she said, but they're not questions of, is God true? They're questions about how does all of this fit together now? Because I've just encountered the living God through the Holy Spirit. And if you've encountered God... You can't unencounter him. You can run from him. You can pretend it never happened. You can keep some distance. La 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 la. But you can't unencounter God. And what happens is when the Spirit is at work, this and the Spirit together help us see and become and grow and develop a confidence. That means we become free and alive and God willing, a gift to the world around us. We see this clearly in some of the things that Jesus said about the role of the Holy Spirit. So notice this in John chapter 14, he says this, but the advocate, another word for the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So the Spirit, he says, will come to remind us of what Jesus has already taught us, the living word captured in the written word, and he will teach you all things. So the Spirit comes to teach us what we've already been taught, essentially, to remind us of the things he's already said to us. That's partly why it's good to gather on a Sunday. If you miss a Sunday, catch up on the podcast, listen in to the teaching, because have you noticed we forget our own story? That you need reminding, I need reminding of what's true and real. He goes on to say this in the next couple of chapters later. But when he notices the spirit of truth, when he comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Now, there are different ways that people interpret this. My view personally is that he's not saying there is more revelation to come. Because actually, we believe that this, this, the scriptures are authoritative and definitive. That It says in here that you don't add to this book. Okay, so some people say, well, there's more truth to discover. I actually think what Jesus is saying here is that the Spirit will help us make sense of it. He will show us more and more and more what's already been revealed. If you, think, if you know the story in the beginning of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, John, the same John, um, he has this revelation um, of, of what is to come. 
Hence, it's the book of Revelation. And it says at the very beginning, he fell down as though dead. And the Spirit allows him to stand up and see. He's been given a glimpse of what's already true, but we only see in part. If you go back a stage, there's a moment where Jesus says to his disciples, I would love to tell you more right now, but you couldn't bear it, is what it says. And what he's saying there is, if I was to reveal to you everything that is already true, it would crush you. Which is why John falls down as though dead, because the weight of this revelation initially crushes him. He can't bear it. But God lets him stand up. He gives him the means to see it. So it's not new truth. It's just more revelation of what is true. Does that make sense? It's really important here that we don't kind of think that somehow this is limited in its purpose or use. The Spirit never says or does anything that is inconsistent with the Scriptures. And the Scriptures tell us all about the Holy Spirit. So we can triangulate the two. So notice this in Acts chapter 1. This is in the Scriptures. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's interesting. You'll receive power, and you will bear witness to the truth. Word and Spirit, they're there again. And some people think that this was just for some at that moment in time. Only some received an empowering of the Spirit. Most people don't think that, but some people would argue that theologically. The problem with that is that God's people have been empowered by the Spirit over again, over and over again for 2,000 years. He still pours out his Holy Spirit on them. I was chatting to a friend of mine who got ordained recently, and she was saying, I did not expect to have this kind of tangible experience of the power of God surging into me when the bishop laid hands on me in the ordination service, which is, you know, surprised me when it happened to me too, but like God is gracious. God will work through whatever efforts we have to honor him. So the Spirit is still empowering people today. And then Paul writes this very, very clear teaching in the scriptures about the Spirit. There are different, they're talking about here about spiritual gifts There are different kinds of gifts, he says, but the same spirit distributes them. And he goes on to say there are different kinds of service, et cetera, et cetera. These gifts, he says, are given according to the measure of grace. Every single one of us, if you're in Christ, has at least one spiritual gift given to you by the Holy Spirit. And notice why. Verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. It's for the mission of God. It's for the sake of the church, for the sake of the world. It's not so we can have some weird Holy Spirit moments. It's so that we can be good news. So that we can be empowered and gifted to do the things that Jesus did as someone who was fully human, fully dependent on the same Holy Spirit that we are. Very, very simple. Are you with me so far? Some of you. If you're lost and confused, that's absolutely fine. We can chat at the end. So at one level, I'm saying something that should be like, yeah, clearly, doesn't every Christian believe this? And on one level, every Christian would say, yeah, I believe in the Scriptures and the Holy Spirit, because the Bible tells us about the Holy Spirit. But actually, it's two things that we need to be really careful about. Number one, that we recognize that it's not just that we believe in the Bible and the Holy Spirit, but that we believe in the Bible and the Holy Spirit working together in tandem. That we understand how they work together. That it's not a bit of this and a bit of that, and they're kind of somehow in tension. That's back to either or thinking. We also need to be much more clear about what we actually mean when we say word and spirit. We'll come to that in a moment. But one of the ways to kind of understand this is a bit like the image of a seesaw. So if you imagine you're on a seesaw, anyone got kids or you grandkids, you'll remember this. 
you know, it kind of tips, doesn't it? So I don't know which one on the picture is the word and which one's the spirit. You can decide. But um, actually, the, the danger is we think somehow we're trying to get a balance right of the two. It's very hard to balance a seesaw, have you noticed? It's like, whew. actually, that's an unhelpful picture because that, if, we're, if that's how we're seeing it, trying to balance the two, we end up always trying to compensate. Well, we're, oh, I need a bit more spirit. I need a bit more word. Actually, it's, it's, a, balance, it's a blend of the two. It's the, the coming together of the two that really matters. And the reality is that all of us will have a spiritual preference. So some of us, more naturally, will be drawn to the word side of our faith. I love this book. I'm an introvert, I'm a thinker, I'm not really a feeler as much. Um, you know, give me 10 minutes longer on the sermon and two songs less, thank you very much. You know, we find ourselves, Kath and I, leading this big thing called New Wine, and as we do a lot of singing at our festival. I'm like, come on, have we sung hard enough already? Um, but there's other people who are like, oh my goodness, please, Rich, just shorten your talks. I want more Spirit of God stuff. And if we're honest, some of us are like that. We're, we're like, we love this, but we actually, if we're really honest, we, we kind of minimize the Holy Spirit. Or you might be the other way around. You're like, I love the Holy Spirit stuff. I love singing in tongues. I love the worship. I love praying for one another. I love going to Hungry once a month where we lean into the presence of God. But, but uh, I'm not really sure about the Bible stuff. And the danger is we kind of don't read it and listen to the talk at all. And maybe some of you are doing your shopping list. And, but the invitation together is to go, how can we be both word and spirit and own that we'll have an instinct and a preference for one, but we need both. And if we're really honest, the danger for all of us is we end up actually not really engaging with either properly. We just kind of go through the motions in the busyness of life. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is, as we think again about who we are, is can we commit to being word and spirit people, individually and collectively? Because that is what has been given to us, for us, so that we can be given for the sake of the world. There's an arrogant uh, risk of arrogance in all of this, as we say, here's how we understand it. But each tradition within the church has a particular way of making sense of this both and. Everyone talks about their theology and their practice. What's our theology? What's our practice? Where do we fit within this? We've got to get this right. We need to recognize it's this coming together, this both and, as I say. And the risk is that we kind of get it wrong. And so I want to just say a few things as how we understand it here and then finish by saying what that looks like in practice. I found this quote from a theologian called Andrew Wilson really helpful as a kind of check on all of us. He says this, the problem with cessationism, and that's the theological worldview that says the Holy Spirit is not really active and, and, and working in the way that he was in the book of Acts anymore, that he's doing it very passively, essentially. It's a bit more complex than that, but that's essentially it. The problem with cessationism is not that it is too biblical, he says, but that it is not biblical enough. So it's a very word-driven view, but he says it's not, not scriptural enough. And he says the problem with word of faith Pentecostalism, which is his definition of the things of the Spirit, the kind of crazy charismatics who are just all about the Holy Spirit moments, he says is that it's not that it's too spiritual, but actually that it's not spiritual enough. And the way that you get the balance right is by letting the two come together. So what do we mean by word and spirit here. By word, we would, use, we would mean we are evangelical. And that is a really loaded term in our culture. So if you were to go around tomorrow going, did you know I'm an evangelical? <laughs> uh, almost certainly there'll be a load of tumbleweed in the room. 
Because on one level, rightly so, it's a discredited term because it's synonymous with abuse and power and all sorts of things like that. We need to be really, really clear about that. But actually, that's not what it means. To be an evangelical is simply to mean that you believe this is good news. That's what it means. And actually, let's be more clear. It means that we believe this has authority, that God in his wisdom has given us divine authority through a book, which raises a a whole set of questions, I know, but there are really good answers to those questions. That's why I believe it. We believe in the absolute authority and accuracy of Scripture as a gift to us. That's what an evangelical is. We believe in this book. We believe it is life-giving and liberating, even where it flies in the face of church tradition, contemporary culture, or intellectual fashion. The great evangelical Anglican leader, vicar, John Stott, says this, said this, an evangelical is a plain, ordinary Christian. We stand in the mainstream of historic, orthodox, biblical Christianity, so we can recite the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed without crossing our fingers. We believe in God the Father and in Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit. In other words, it, it's kind of, it is mainstream Christianity historically. This raises questions for us to talk about because that all needs dialoguing and in, you know, making sense of, I understand that. The, the second then would be, what do we mean by spirit? Well, I would describe myself as a charismatic. A charismatic is someone who believes in the charism of the spirit. Charis, the Greek word for grace. God's grace given to us in the power and presence of his Holy Spirit, these gifts. And what I believe is that we are to actively engage with the active agent of the Holy Trinity, that we're not passive. Yeah, there's a Holy Spirit, he does something somehow. You know, when we preach the word, when we pray, the Spirit somehow is behind the scenes doing something. We don't really ever see it, but I believe that you can experience the presence of God and the power of God and the gifts of God, that there's prophetic words and there is the gift of tongues, which is really weird, but it's beautiful, that people do sometimes get healed in the present, in anticipation of the future. I believe that God speaks to us through the Spirit, through the Word. I believe that God's wanting to do something glorious through us as we partner with the Holy Spirit. We go on this crazy adventure that only makes sense because we recognize that the early church was not a kind of Um, a one-off moment, but was actually the start of something that we're still part of, and that we too can see what happens in Acts. Do you remember a while back we did a teaching series in Luke? And do you remember we said that actually Luke is actually part one of a two-parter, there's Luke-Acts? We're going to come back around to Acts, and we're going to look next year probably and look at, okay, what does it mean to be the New Testament kind of church? Because we are still in the same era, the same age of the Spirit. For all we know, we might still be the early church. So we have to get our heads around how this all works itself out in practice. So we're committed to experiencing and not just believing in the presence and power of the Spirit today, to being a people who actually aren't frightened of the Spirit because we get our heads around what the Scriptures say about Him and understand it's a gift and learn how to have a rooted in the Scriptures healthy experience of the reality of the Holy Spirit. There is nothing more special then when God gives you a prophetic word for somebody else, a brother or sister in Christ, or, or someone who doesn't even know Jesus yet, that you go, it can only be divine revelation, and you share it humbly with them, and say, I don't know if this makes any sense, but I feel like God's shown me something to encourage you. And they look at you like, how did you know? And you go, God told me. And you go, oh, that, that would, I mean, that's amazing. Which is why Paul says, eagerly desire the gift of prophecy. Not so you can go around going, <laughs> hotline. If you want to know what God thinks, come to me. 
No, because actually it's a way in which we can love people and serve people. And often it's the way in which we can come alongside someone who's really struggling and say, do you know what? It may not feel it right now, but God is with you. And God sees you. And do you know what? God's done something about the causes of the suffering and pain that you're experiencing. He's done it in Jesus Christ. And did you know, by the way, that he raised him from the dead. And if he can raise Jesus from the dead, he can raise you. And do you know what? He, he can and he will. The Holy Spirit and the Word together is this dynamic incredible combination for us but also for others A.W. Tozer the great great spiritual writer said this in one of his books he says the spirit filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity it is part and parcel of the total plan of God for his people it's not optional extra it's in the book because it's part of the plan and we have to grapple with this Which brings us to the second text that Kate read, that one sentence in Matthew 22, which gives me the heebie-jeebies whenever I read it. Jesus says, uh, and he's talking here to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he says to them this, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. He's like, it's not that you're all word and no spirit, or you're all spirit and no word. He's like, you don't know either of them. And these are the people that would say they did. And they had their interpretation of the scriptures and their understanding of the life of faith. And Jesus, the son of God, says to them, you are in error. You don't get it. And then he goes on to say, this is it. It's the both and of the word and the spirit enfleshed in him and now enfleshed in the church. We are his body, gifted by God to have these spiritual gifts filled with his Holy Spirit so we can carry the presence of God into the world and live in it for ourselves. He's like, you need to know both the scriptures and the power of God. So let me ask you a question. How much do you engage with the book? How well do you know the scriptures? And let me ask you another question. How much do you engage with the power of God, the Holy Spirit, actively, consciously, intentionally, either of those things and both of them? Because that's the invitation here. If you want to become all that God has for you, and if you want to be part of all that God's wanting to do in the world, that is what he's asked us to do. That is kingdom, New Testament, spirituality 101. David Watson, who was an Anglican vicar, same sort of time as John Stott, he said this. It's really cheesy, but it's true. All word and no spirit, we dry up. All spirit and no word, we blow up. You're gonna, this is all, all you're going to remember is and, crumble and custard and David Watson. But he says, both word and spirit, we grow up. So we, everyone still quotes that because it's super true and super memorable. So how does this play out in practice? individually and collectively, real quick. Um, some of you will have seen this slide before, but we talk here, this is, my, this is kind of our paradigm for how are we going to be the people of God. We talk about the presence of God. We talk about presence, formation, and mission. We want to people, be people who live in and from the presence of God. We want to be people who are committed to spiritual formation, transformation into the likeness of Christ as we bring all of our stuff to him. And we want to be people who are committed to being on mission together. And to do those three things, we have to engage both with the Word and the Spirit. 
Not one or the other, not based on our preferences or fears or previous hurts and experiences, but we have to learn collectively and individually to do them both. And notice what Paul, uh, it says in 2 Timothy 3, what uh, Timothy says here, all scripture is God-breathed, ruach, spirit. All scripture is Holy Spirit-breathed, word and spirit. You're getting the point, hopefully, word and spirit custard and crumble. It's useful for, te- I mean, it's like a classic understatement, right? It's really useful, by the way. Like a spatula is quite useful when you're flipping pancakes. That's like, could you come, surely you're going to come up with a better word than useful. Um, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That's biblical language for becoming truly human. So that... There's always a kingdom so that, so that the servant of God, you and me, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Word and spirit together. So here's what I think it looks like. Here's just a list of things for you to do. This is your, this is your homework for the rest of your life. Um, number one, engage with the Bible. What does that mean? It means submitting to its authority. Either we believe it's authoritative or not. Do we trust God or not? If, if we believe this is how God has spoken definitively and then the Spirit reinforces that, then we need to know what it says. And are we going to submit to its authority or are we going to give something else authority? That's the choice. We need to read it devotionally. Like I, I don't always want to do it, but I get up early in the morning, usually because I wake up before anyone else anyway, and I read this. And I read it so I know what God's like and so that God can speak to me. We need to respond to the preaching. That's why in a moment we're going to say, come Holy Spirit, because we preach the word, and then we say, come Holy Spirit. Do you, do you engage with that, or do you just kind of clock out, clock out until the coffee? We need to discuss it and study it. That's why we encourage you to be in a midweek group, and we write notes, and the life group leaders will get it. You'll get it tomorrow, because I promise you, because I've nearly finished them. Sometimes they have to chase me. So you can talk about it. What did Rich mean? What do you think he means? Let's grapple with this. Do you go to the scriptures for guidance? Or do you go to Google? Do we embrace its worldview? It's got a coherent worldview that makes sense of the world. Brings hope and joy and freedom. Do we embrace that? Do we live into that? That's what engaging with the Bible looks like. I mean, it's a whole load more. And secondly, what about engaging with the Spirit? So don't, remember, it's both of these, not one or the other. Not preference or fear. Be, f- be filled with the Spirit. Over and over and over and over again. Because we leak. Do you know your spiritual gifts? Have you embraced the power of the Spirit? Have you ever had a moment where you've experienced the power of the Spirit? Some people experience it more tangibly than others. But have you gone there? Have you allowed yourself to just be filled with the power of God? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The same power that moves through him to bring healing and wholeness. Because unless you're filled with the power of the Spirit, you can't move in the power of the Spirit. Do you eagerly, as Paul says, desire the gift of prophecy? I'd also add in there the gift of encouragement. Everyone could do with a lot more encouragement right now. So eagerly desire that one. That's also a spiritual gift. Do you seek the guidance of the Spirit as well as the Scriptures? Holy Spirit, speak to us. Give us a prophetic word. Confirmation. He does that. And in the end, it's an adventure. 
are you on an adventure where your life only makes sense because you've gone all out on this word and spirit thing? Or is it all a little bit safe and therefore a bit boring? And maybe why sometimes you're like, do you know what? Brunch or church. If you're up for this, would you stand? If you're able, we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to do the bit that he does. There's no pressure, there's no expectation on you to be or do anything. But I want to encourage you, hopefully that's been a help to this morning take a step of faith more into the things of the Spirit and the things of the Word. And so our practice here, because we're charismatics, is we just we, we believe that when we say, come Holy Spirit, he does in a tangible, kind, loving way. That we don't just kind of listen to some words and trust that the Spirit's done something. We actually know that God ministers to us in this moment. And if you don't believe me, go and read through the book of Acts. This is what they did all the time. 